Hey, Anna. Remember that time it was time to play the music and light the lights? podcast i'm your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history welcome back we're recording separate for the first time in like a while and yeah. we like forgot how to handle it like we forgot <laughs> yeah. what to do with ourselves for I a night here. what was happening i was yeah. like what do i have to have pulled up and ready i don't know <laughs> just hanging out <laughs> yeah but we're here and also of course as soon as we hit record one of my neighbors started playing music so i don't know if anybody can hear i can hear it it's not super loud but it's that kind of you know when things like kind of it's like bumping yeah kind of yeah (laughs) yeah but i was like of course it's been dead quiet all Mm -hmm. morning also because we're recording separate that means our levels are always wildly different because we have different mics Uh so So welcome back to it we're back to our normal sort of situation and vibes since last we recorded separately, Amanda and I have both like completely changed the configuration of our spaces. Yeah. So it's totally different, like seeing new you. setup. Yeah. And, yeah. So <laughs> that's cool. We're, We're having a good time. <laughs> new year. New year, new us. us, but also very much same us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So speaking of same us, would you like to do what we always do and have a little drink update? Of course. I'm having coffee because it's morning. Yeah. Well, it's almost noon, but I'm still having my coffee from this Saturday morning ish record. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking water. Perfect. I was going to have coffee, but then I drank it too fast. <laughs> drank it too fast. I, that's never my problem. Yeah, but I drink that iced coffee, so it just goes down. I know. It's not yeah. like real coffee. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, it is, but it it's is. Sh- it's sugar c- carton coffee. It's great. I love it. Sugar <laughs> carton coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. All right. So today, I thought we would um, start the new year, besides our New Year's episode, but start the new year off with a a little bit of a lighter one. Um, Because I feel like the last several we've done have been a little heavier. A little heavy. Yeah. Um, Not to say that this one won't be meaty. There's a lot to talk about, but it's just sort of a lighter tone. So we're going to do Jim Henson today. I'm excited. Um, I really love Jim Henson. This one's been on my list for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the Muppets. And um, so I'm very excited to do this one because he's just such an interesting person. To prepare for this episode, when I was doing my research, I watched the Defunct Land uh, series on the Muppets, yeah. uh, the history of the Muppets, and it is spectacular. On I, YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube. I highly rec- recommend it as a docuseries for anybody to watch if you're more interested in this topic. I talk a lot about what he talks about, but he always goes into more depth, and he creates yeah. these really beautiful storylines throughout. Like, I was weeping by the last episode. You know how <laughs> it goes. <Shocking. laughs> um So, yeah, I highly, highly recommend that, because um, I picked that up as part of my research, and it's it's excellent. So. Shout out to Defunct Land as always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Truly. All right. So let's get into it. James Maury Henson is born on or in Greenville, Mississippi on September 24th, 1936 to Paul and Betty Henson. Uh, he has one older brother, Paul Jr. He actually dies pretty young in a car accident. Um, I don't I think I just now realized I think I forgot to note the year, um, but it's in the mid fifties, I think, was when he passed. So he, yeah, that that was a that's a part of his you know story is yeah. that his brother passed when he was like in his yeah. teens. His father works for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, so they live in Mississippi in his early childhood. But they end up moving to University Park, Maryland, which is ne- near D.C. Yeah. Uh, for his father's work in the mid forties, just makes it easier for them. He's very artistic in his childhood, and his family is very supportive of all of his interests. But he doesn't become interested in puppetry specifically until he's about 18, when a local TV station puts out a call for puppeteers for a Saturday morning children's show. And he is, you know, looking to make some money, and he's interested in the arts. So he goes to the library, and he checks out, like, two books on puppeteering, and he learns how to make (laughs) puppets, and he builds a puppet. Remember when you had to go to the library? You probably don't, actually. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I remember you had to go to the library yeah. and check out books if you wanted to research things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Encyclopedias, baby. Yeah. yeah. So he learns how to make a puppet. So he makes one for his audition and he auditions and he gets it. Um, so he begins working at WTOP TV for the junior morning show in 1954. And the show doesn't last very long, but it's the thing that, like, gets him interested in puppetry it's and gets catalyst. him interested in working on the on television yeah. and, like, all of that stuff. It, it's the spark to, that gets him started. Mm-hmm. After he graduates high school, he begins attending University of Maryland. He starts with a studio arts major because of his new interest in TV, but he takes a puppetry class. There's only one available, and he actually has more experience than the professor does at that <laughs> sure, time because yeah. it's like a new class. Um, but he takes a puppetry class, and then he switches his major to home economics because they work more huh. with textiles. Oh, that's so interesting. Than the studio arts major does. And it's huh. also less coursework, which will end up sure, yeah. being important to him because he works all through college, as we're getting into this right. here in a minute. He actually has to like delay his degree because he's working so much through college. Um, so the switching to that major made his life a little easier. <laughs> sure. When he's a freshman, he is offered a five-minute spot before the airing of The Tonight Show on WRC-TV in D.C. Mm-hmm. So it would yes. be just for the local station, five minutes between, like, the evening news and when The Tonight Show starts. Right, yes. This Just this little slot. Um, and he asks another freshman, Jane Neville, to work on this show with him. They meet through the puppetry class, and he's, like, impressed with her, and so he asks her to help him with this. And so together, they create the show Sam and Friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see some old Sam and Friends clips on YouTube. Um, Most of those were never recorded. Because uh, yeah. they were only I've seen filmed. Some of them in like other documentaries. Yes, that they talk were about only them. really filmed to air live. Like they they didn't have the forethought to record a lot of these things as sure. they did with lots of stuff in the fifties, right? Well, they didn't know he was going to become like a legend. Exactly. Right? They, they um, had no idea. But there were a few recorded, and um, the Jim Henson Company has archived them and put them up. Um, right. So you are able to watch some Sam and Friends now. This is also around the time that Jim starts to refer to his creations as Muppets, um, which some people thought was a combination of marionette and puppet, mm-hmm. but he has said it was just a name it's that he made up. just a cutie name. Yeah, he just made yeah. it up. Um, like and when, you, when you call your dog like a little, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a silly little my name. Puppets, they're my Muppets. Yeah, exactly. Um, and some of the Sam and Friends characters are actually very early versions of what will eventually become notable Muppet (laughs) cast members, right? Um, So most notably, the show includes a very early version of Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Now, this is before he's named Kermit, and it is before he is a frog. He's just like a little (laughs) lizard guy. Yeah, Um, he's like a weird... (laughs) It's like the the face looks similar. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And that's kind of it. And it (laughs) moves the same. He uses the same techniques. Yeah. And... The first few episodes of Sam and Friends are actually just them doing, like, comedic lip syncing to songs. Yeah. Um, So it doesn't start developing – the characters don't start developing voice until a little bit later. Right, because they're not doing, like, full-on sketches. Until they're further into the show. They end up – over time, this gets really popular. So over time, they end up getting, like, a longer slot and airing more days a week. And that's when it starts to develop a little bit more. Um. But, yeah, it, that's when he develops the voice. Right. And the voice stays pretty consistent. But, yeah, at first it's just this little lizard guy. Um, So we owe a lot of how puppetry works today uh, mm-hmm. to Jim Henson. Yeah. So he ends up experimenting with a lot of the conventional puppeting techniques of that time. It was mostly, not entirely, but it was mostly wooden puppets. Um, so either marionettes or puppets where only the mouth opened and closed and the lip syncing wasn't that important. It was just that the mouth was moving, right? Right. He makes mostly foam puppets instead of wooden puppets, which allows the hand to do more of the expression. Um, so the characters are more expressive and the lip sync is more accurate because they can move the hand to look more like... It's talking. Words. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, you know, marionettes are mostly on strings. He uses rods to move the hands. Or a lot of his puppets 
are you put your hand in hand, both hands in both or, hands in, and yeah. they control the hands um one person controls the face and the hand and somebody rec- controls the other hand like that right. was a, a method that he used a lot and also because he is primarily making the this product for tv up until now puppet shows that had aired on tv had just been recordings of already staged puppet shows so like on a puppet stage that you build and you sit underneath the stage and there's a little proscenium arch and it hides the puppeteers right Mm -hmm. he gets rid of all of that and his puppets are filmed on like sets like a little, tv set yeah small sets but or, on or, sets or anywhere they yeah. could be they could be anywhere yeah because, because he uses restricted to the stage he uses the camera right to be his proscenium arch right he you hide off screen rather than under a stage right um yes. so that's very that's a new kind of concept as well that he develops um his work on salmon friends earns him a local emmy He's very popular, this show. And he's what, at this point, like 19, 20? Mm-hmm. Yep, he's still in college. Yeah. Um, The Tonight Show eventually invites him and Jane on to perform because yeah. they hear about this show that airs before them in D.C. and how popular it is. Yeah. Um, and that ends up opening the door for a lot of other late night appearances. So they end up being on the Steve Allen show, the Jack Parr program, and the Ed Sullivan show several times. Yeah, I've seen other like interviews and stuff with people who worked for Jim early on for or with him early mm-hmm. on when they were talking about, yeah, I saw him on the Tonight Show. That's how I knew who he was. Yeah. That's how I knew what this whole world was about yeah and we're gonna talk a lot more about this later but that was a very new medium in america yeah puppets were mostly for children in america now when you think more about like european theater that is an art that they took off with very early for lots of different audiences but it's mostly for an american audience at this point mostly for children so it's a little different to see these like kind of slapstick comedy they were doing yeah i was gonna say they were doing like adult jokes yeah with these puppets i mean not necessarily like super raunchy I yeah mean, but it's, it's all like on tv but it's it was slapstick on comedy late night shows. it's on late night shows yeah. yeah it's very different you know yeah um he begins getting asked to use the muppets for commercials after their success, uh, the most famous and popular of these is a series of commercials that he does for a DC company called Wilkins Coffee. Um, again, you can see these commercials. They're excellent. Uh, <laughs> he creates two Muppets, Wilkins, who loved Wilkins Coffee, and Wonkins, who hated Wilkins Coffee. <laughs> and the formula for the commercials would be Wilkins would be like, would come and talk to Wonkins and be like, do you have coffee in there or whatever? And he would be like, no, I hate coffee. coffee And then he would like drop a bomb in his house or (laughs) hit him with a cannonball or shoot him with a gun or yeah. 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 And they're like seven seconds. So they're crazy fast. And then Wilkins is like, oh, you can't do anything without Wilkins coffee. Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just these two little guys. He ends up licensing the characters to Wilkins coffee and they like sell little toys of them. Like, Yeah. Um, this, this series of commercials becomes very popular. Yeah. Um, during this time, as he's like starting to do more and more of these appearances, he and Jane form Muppets Inc., which will eventually become the Jim Henson Jim Company. Henson Company. Mm-hmm. Right. During this time, he takes a trip to Europe. He had to like take some time off of school and was like kind of going back and forth between doing all of these appearances and his schooling. So he takes a break and he takes a trip to Europe. And while he's there, he studies European puppeteers. And this is what we were just saying. They treat their work much more as an art form. Yeah. Um, Like for that culture, puppets are just a different form of entertainment, right? For for everyone. And a Um, lot more often like weaved into more traditional Yes. Entertainment, like yeah. Jim is starting to do. Right? Yeah. Sawyer and I were talking about this other the, earlier when we were watching all of this. I was saying, in the same, I think that puppets are a very, like, British form of comedy in the same way that, like, drag is. Okay, yeah. I and that you. it took a while for that type of cultural awareness of that type of, like, comedy to mm. translate to an American market. Sure, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he he sees a lot more people like taking the form seriously in Europe, and he's very inspired by that when he comes back. 
Um, and so when he returns, he wants to start working towards more creative ventures rather than just these short form little shows, you know? Mm. Um, also after he returns from Europe, him and Jane both break off respective engagements, um, (laughs) with other people and they start dating and they get married in 1959. She has already graduated and she is working on a master's program. Um, and he's working on finishing up his degree when they get married. Right. Uh, they will end up having five children together. Lisa, Cheryl, Brian, John, and Heather. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to put si- time aside to remember to mention each of them <laughs> when they yeah. were born as we go through. So that's them. Uh, he graduates from the University of Maryland with a ba- Bachelor of Science in Home Economics in 1960. And Jim and Jane continue making episodes of Sam and Friends until December 15th, 1961, because they decide it's time to move on and try to do some other stuff with the Muppets. Sure. Now that they're both, like, out of school. And it's, like, a recognizable thing now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be tied to another show. And they're making more and more of these late-night appearances, and so they're going to have to we're going to talk about it in a minute, move to New York to keep up with that. Right, sure. Um, Because almost all of them are filmed in New York. So, yeah. yeah. After Jim and Jane have their first child, they decide that they need help with their production and their performances because Jane starts staying home more, and so they need another performer and they also yeah. need another writer because they have their first two children pretty close together yeah, and so she time. <laughs> yeah she decides yeah. to stop performing to take care of the kids and so and she's still very involved with the Muppets I won't mention her a whole lot from here on out but yeah, she is she very was, involved in the process and, in, and with the company yes too. She, yeah. yeah she is very involved in the creative side and that kind of stuff she just stops performing Right. Um, when they have their kids. And so they need to find some new people. So he goes to the American puppeteering convention. I can't remember the like formal name of it. Mm. Um, and kind of starts looking for some folks, right? Um, so in 1961, they hired Jerry Jewell as a new writer. And Jerry Jewell ends up, you know, working with him through this whole process he he is the voice of the muppets like the comedy that you know of today as the muppets comes from jerry jewel absolutely and in 1963 they hire frank oz Mm -hmm. as a new puppeteer uh he was very young they met when he was like about to graduate high school and he like couldn't hire him yet because he was 17 um and so they waited until after he like graduated and had gotten his feet under him a little bit and then they hired him on um they also, at the, this convention, meet talent agent Bernie Burlstein, and he takes Jim on as a client. And yeah. Bernie also produces and is his agent, you know, from here on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, in 1963, they move to New York City, and they're going to work there for the next several years. Like, this is where they're stationed for a while. And over this next period, a lot of the longtime members of the Muppets cast of performers join. So... Jerry Nelson, Fran Brill, Richard Hunt, Dave Golas, Steve Whitmire, and Kevin Clash kind of come in. Over the next, like, period of, like, ten or so years, these people start trickling in and becoming regular performers. All of the classic Muppet characters that get developed over this period are voiced by these people. people. Yeah, performed and voiced by these people. Uh, In 1963, Jim creates Ralph the Dog. Who uh, (laughs) begins making regular appearances on the Jimmy Dean show as like kind of the kind of co-hosty, you know. Right, yeah. Over to you, Ralph, kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't, I guess, sidekick, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's, yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, He plays the piano, that's like what the character is. Yeah. Um, And this was a really big break for the Muppets, this like regular appearance on this talk show, Mm. um, this late night show. And Jim is so grateful to Jimmy that he offers him a 40% interest in the Muppets production company. That's huge. And Jimmy declines and says oh. that Jim deserves all the rewards for his own work. Aww, and like, so nice. right. And later he said he never regretted it. Even after Aww. as successful the Muppets got, he said he never regretted turning him down. That he, well, he thought didn't that, need it. Yeah. That he <laughs> thought that Jim deserved to earn his own money. Yeah. Which is like his life would have been wildly different had that not been the case you know yeah, what i mean like sure. somebody else would have owned a bigger and would have share. had a say yeah yeah I, again a person who says no i'm not gonna take it does not seem like a person who after getting 40 percent of <laughs> would the company would mess do it up. that yeah but yeah you, know, you never know 
Yeah. Yeah, money changes people, so you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as the Muppets start to become more popular, they continue to make late night appearances and they star in commercials. Some more characters are developed during this time, including a very early version of the Cookie Monster, who, like, he, like, eats, like, snack food and then, like, also, right, yeah. like, computer bits, like, when they start doing right, some more, yes. like, technology. Um, so it's not the <laughs> Cookie Monster. He's, like, the muncher or something like that. Yeah. But you can recognize that it's early yeah. designs for oh, the cookie he's monster. still blue and he's got the big I actually eyes. think he's green in the first Oh, you're right. Few. I think yeah. he is green, yeah. Close, um, though. It's yeah. Very yes. similar. So, Jim thinks of himself very much as a, like, creative and experimental artist first. Yeah. And a puppeteer second, and that this, like, medium is the way that he is making this new type of art, which he very much was, you know? Um, like, yeah. they were doing stuff that nobody else was doing. Uh, So he starts to use their production company to create some other types of filmmaking. Like, he wants to produce other things, too. Um, In 1965, he makes a nine-minute-long film called Timepiece, which ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film. Um, He also produces and directs The Cube in 1969, so they make a few other types of media. That's why I went to the moon. Oh my gosh, it is. Oh, and we're, you know, I'm glad we got that out now because we're about to be hanging out in 1969 <laughs> for a hot minute. I know. So it's been a while. thrilled it's been we a got while that out since now. We've been to 1969, which is, of course, when we went to the moon. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> not oh. ni- not 1970, but a year sooner. sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> also in 1969, the Muppets are a part of a TV movie called Hey Cinderella. Uh, it's the first in a series of fairy tale retellings called Tales from Muppet Land. And this is the first version of Kermit the Frog as we know him today. Right. So Kermit had been present in all the other stuff that they'd but been doing. But he wasn't like a character yet. Yeah. And, I mean, it's Jim. Yeah. It was always, he was always Jim's favorite. Yeah. He was like one of his original puppets. Yes. Um, but, but he yeah. had, you know, over time started getting a little cleaner, looking a little nicer. And this is when he becomes, like, he calls himself a frog for the first time in right. this one. Um, they, like, really, because it makes sense, like, for the storytelling, whatever. Yeah. And I would say, like, as the character, I don't know if you plan to talk about this more, but as the character of Kermit develops, it's, like, more and more of Jim. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know? Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. So this is when we formally get Kermit the frog. He I'm introduces himself, frog, like, as here. a frog. Yeah. Yeah. The other tales from Muppet Land are The Frog Prince in 1971 and The Muppet Musicians of Brennan in 1972. <laughs> also in 1969, big moment here, the TV producer Joan Gans Cooney reaches out to Jim. She yeah. is working with the Children's Television Workshop to create a new preschool-aged educational program called Sesame Street. Can I can I interject with uh-huh. your recommendation? There is a documentary about Sesame Street um, on on max excuse me Uh formerly hbo Mm -hmm. max i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but if you search sesame street i'm sure it'll pop up and it's great Mm -hmm. i learned a lot about jim from From that that. documentary because they talk a lot about these early days the puppets and how they came to be on the show and yeah it's a great little it's excellent i highly recommend it cool i'll see if i can find the name while you continue so jim actually is initially pretty hesitant to agree to join the show because he doesn't want the Muppets to get pigeonholed into children's programming. Um, Because he's not so gung-ho that it needs to be exclusively for adults. He wants the Muppets to be for everyone. Right. And so he doesn't want uh, the American public to only view them as being for children because they already view puppets as mostly being for children. He wants them to be for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) It's called Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. Cool. But he really admires Joan and her work because she was doing a lot of work in New York at the time making television for minority groups. Like, she was highlighting. She was a very big pioneer. She totally was. (laughs) And he was a big, like, supporter of the civil rights movement. Like, that was. Yeah, he was a total, like, early days hippie. Yeah, he was a hippie. Before the hippies became the hippies, that was Jim. Yeah, 100%. So he he really admires her work, and so he agrees to be a part of the project because he thinks what she's doing is excellent, you know? The show is originally formatted to have a series of live action segments on the street and then a Muppets puppet segment on their own, like, separate. Um, 
so the team developed several new Muppets for this show, including Grover, Cookie Monster, Bert and Ernie, Oscar the Grouch, and Big Bird. Grover's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, Elmo doesn't even get developed until, like, no, a good bit later that. into the, the story. Kermit appears in some segments in the really early days yeah. of the show. Um, over time, he ends up not being the best fit. We'll kind of talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Where, like, really what it is is that he hadn't quite found his own personality yet. Um, well, he was also, still, like, sometimes he was this, like, gentle little guy that was hanging out with Jim. And sometimes he would have these, like, big outbursts. Yeah. And the outbursts didn't fit quite enough right. on Sesame Street. And so as the character develops more, he finds more of a home. But at first and it was also, kind of an awkward fit. Like Most of the characters on Sesame Street are meant to be children. Mm-hmm. The Muppets are supposed to be kids, mm-hmm. most of them. Um, that was never really Bernie, probably not but yeah, that was never is, really Kermit right yeah. and, and he's also not like that sort of he he wasn't really an archetype of an adult either yeah so it doesn't really slot in not one that would fit on children's adults. programming at least right. yeah. yeah yeah um eventually the show gets revamped to mix the live action and the Muppet segments together because after the right. first like season or two they note that children's attention goes down significantly during the live action portions and goes up significantly during the Muppets, the Muppets. Yeah. and so they mix it together yeah. to make the whole program more watchable for the kids. Yeah. They keep a lot of the stuff they were already doing with the live action segments. They just mix it with the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And they also have to then hire a lot of new performers at this time because they're doing other projects as well. We'll be getting into it in a minute. So they had to have a few people who were mostly dedicated to being at Sesame, Street. Sesame Street. Yeah. yeah. Like Jim and um, Frank do Bert and Ernie. Right. So they right. still are present, but they get. Um, oh, hold on. Let me find his name. The guy who's Big Bird. I can't think of it. I have it in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. But Bert and Ernie aren't in every episode. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Carol Whereas, Spinney. Carol yes. Spinney comes on during this time to be Big Bird. You're going like, to see Big Bird in pretty much every episode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually you will also see Elmo in every episode. Like right. those characters, Oscar the yeah. Grouch, like they, they free up more time to do mm-hmm. Sesame Street. The big advantage, though, was that doing Sesame Street let them stop having to make commercials. Because right. it was like a regular income. income. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is also good because a lot of people disagreed with having those children's characters selling products. They didn't yeah. like to well, see them in the commercials. Big, this was early days before there were rules about that. Mm-hmm. And it was people kind of just learning, like, maybe children's characters shouldn't be selling products to children. Right. Um, which or all, just uh, selling products becomes, at all. Yeah. Which eventually becomes a very big moment. <laughs> there are laws about it now. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So and it, it's also public television. Yeah. So having them be in commercials doesn't really jive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it actually kind of worked out pretty well that yeah. that allowed that to happen. It does, however, make it harder for them to develop some future projects because now this is what they're becoming most famous for. And the American public already is thinking puppets are for kids. Right. And Jim wants to start making some more like adult Muppet content. But he, it's difficult for for people to pick up on it. Because he shops around ideas and pilots for, a, like, a Muppet variety show. Yeah. Uh, but really struggles to get anybody to take up the idea because studios are like, well, that's just well, kids that's programming. Kids. Yeah. yeah. In 1974, they do get ABC to agree to air a holiday-themed half-hour Muppet show called The Muppets Valentine Show. Mia Farrow guest stars. We can do an episode about her. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a sadder one. Yeah. Um, the special does pretty well. Um, so ABC agrees for another one of these. Like, these were meant to be kind of early pi- pilots of what he wanted to become a regular variety show. show. Yeah. So ABC agrees to another special. Now, this is where things get a little... <laughs> this is this was a rough one. Jim really wants to shake that child-oriented image of the Muppets. And against the advice of everyone around him, <laughs> names the special The Muppet Show, Sex and Violence. Very hard the other direction. Yeah. yeah. Now, it was, all of it was meant to be parody, right? Comedy parody. Yeah. Like, it's not actually. And to be fair, he wanted to make sure you knew what you were getting into yeah. when, you, when you saw it. Yeah. Right? Now, everybody and their mother said, you can't call it that. Because yeah. we can't put that on television. And he stood very firm and he, he said, said, no, I'm going to be calling it that. Bet. Yeah. I will be doing it. Yeah. 
because uh, he wants to lean a lot harder into that more like adult or even just like more for the average person comedy. Right. Um. Now, this special doesn't do great, obviously. <laughs> However, a lot, a lot of the staple Muppets that we know today are developed for this special. Right. So we get Sam the Eagle, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, all yeah. of them for this special. The Swedish Chef, which has, was a bit that they had done before, um, but they hadn't developed the character for right, it yet. They used yeah. to do it with one of the Sam and Friends puppets, Yorick. Used to do a kind right. of similar thing. Um, Statler and Waldorf. Classic. And very early f- versions of Miss Piggy, Fozzie, and Gonzo. Mm-hmm. All developed just for this special. Uh, the pr- One of the problems is that the writing is not as good. Because Jerry was not the primary writer on this one. Right, yeah. So they str- really struggle with the character in the comedy mix because they don't have that, like, Jerry had moved to L.A. and he had still been writing for Muppets Projects, but he was, like, taking a little time and doing other stuff. And so right. he wasn't always available. And he didn't write this one. He wrote the Valentine special. He didn't write this one. And so, right. like, you could tell, right? It yeah. suffered for it. Um. So it was it was not received well, and it made it harder for further work towards a Muppet show. Now, still on this path of trying to distance from the children's <laughs> programming, around this time, Lauren Michaels begins developing Lauren Saturday Michaels. Night Live. That's right. And Lauren and Jim both really enjoy each other's work, and so the Muppets get a place in the first season of SNL. There are yeah. Muppet sketches in the first season of SNL. Oh, yeah. Um, they had a regular sketch called The Land of Gorch. Yeah. <laughs> These, like, big kind of gross-looking Muppet alien yeah. dudes. Um, it airs in late 1975 and early 1976, and they very quickly discovered that the Muppets are not a good fit for SNL. No. Part of the problem, again, is that the SNL writers had to write for the Muppets because of union right. rules. Right. So they could not have Muppet writers writing those sketches. And the SNL writers just could not write well, they're for the Muppets. Well, they're sketch comedy writers. Yes. They're, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a different medium. Yeah. And when you're writing for live television, too. It's very also very different. different. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the Muppets writers were used to writing Muppet sketches for live television. But they right. weren't allowed to write for the show. Right. So it it really didn't work. Michael O'Donohue quite famously said, I won't write for Felt. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So you can't that, write for Felt, okay? <laughs> you're not good enough to write you for Felt, write all for right? Felt. Just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that does that does not last very long. No, it like, it, long. it just was not a good fit. Through all of this. Jim is still really trying to sell the idea for a Muppet variety show. He had also started w- workshopping and developing a Muppet like Broadway show um, yeah, right. that he ends up dropping as other projects start up. But he was right. like working on both of these at this time. He was like really trying to get something regular it, it to sell. It would be hard to do a television show and a Broadway show at the same time. Right. A Broadway show is so much time commitment. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, he finally finds success after pitching the show to Lou Grade, who is this mm-hmm. British producer rich man he's like this independently wealthy lord and he like works in television as a talent agent he's like this weird eccentric guy lord (laughs) grade they always called him lord grade because he was technically a baron (laughs) aren't they all funny aren't they all yeah everybody in britain that's what i think that everybody in britain no (laughs) yeah is a baron (laughs) is a baron is a lord or lady somehow yeah um, so he agrees to finance the project. They want to produce it independently and then syndicate the show is the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than getting a network, because that was the problem, right? Jim could not get a right. network to buy this show. He got ABC to agree to a couple of specials, but he could not get a network to buy this show. And so they're going to produce it and then syndicate it out to networks mm-hmm. instead, which was actually a fairly new practice at this time. Yeah. Um but he agrees to finance the project if they come film in London. Sure. So they all have to move out. So in 1967, he and the Muppets team moved to London and filmed 76. the- 76. So, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> and filmed the first season of The Muppet Show. 
a lot of hit or miss in the first season. Yeah, they had of he Lou wanted a British writer that he worked closely with to be the head writer. Of course. But Jim it was never going to work. Yeah, Jim wanted to make sure Jerry was a part of the project and it it did work well enough to get them through the first season, but every season after that Jerry is the yeah. head writer. It, well, here's yeah. the thing. First of all, he wants to look out for the His. person who's been with him since the beginning. But also, we have repeatedly seen that someone else it doesn't cannot work. be the head writer for the Muppets. It doesn't work if it's not Jim and Jerry. Yeah. When you're still trying to get people on board, yeah. it just was and not And you're still work. developing all these new characters. You right. need that really strong voice for all yeah. of these new characters. Right. So, the, a lot of the characters that they had made for sex and violence that didn't get used get roped into being regular characters. Like, this is when Statler and Waldorf... Right. Become the peanut gallery, you yeah. know. Um, Fozzie finally gets fully developed. Oh, Gonzo. Fozzie. I love Fozzie too. <laughs> Gonzo was originally a, um, a, a Muppet, Muppet that they Muppet. made for a special. It was like about Santa Claus. I can't even remember yeah. the name of the special. And he was a cigar box puppet. And right, he yeah. had no other, like, characteristics. And there was this new puppeteer. Oh, I cannot remember the original guy who does Gonzo. Um, but he was, like, really unsure of himself. Uh, he had mostly worked in the workshop. But Jim really wanted to see him shine as a performer. And so he gave him Gonzo. And he said, figure it out. Make this yeah. character. Like, figure out who he is. And here we he are. Did. We still yeah. have him. Um Miss Piggy Classic. starts to develop right. um, more and more. She's like this kind of prima donna character, but then there's one skit where she like smacks Kermit, and then all of a sudden That's the character is like, Literally. "Oh, this is who we, this is who she is." Like this yeah. is, yeah, it's a literal hit. It's, it's a, a literal, literal hit. hit. Um, so all of the, they create Skeeter during this time. Oh, um, yeah. So all of this stuff starts developing, and this is where Kermit really starts to he shine. The lead. He becomes the lead yeah. because they. The other specials they had done before had, like, a host who was, like, doing this show within a show kind of thing. Like, he was, like, writing a story or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And the other host just never really took. Yeah. And so Jim really wanted a place for Kermit because he... Kermit was his favorite and he wanted to use Kermit and so they found Kermit as being this like kind of disgruntled boss who's like trying to keep it all together and really wants to see the show succeed so this is when he really starts to become Jim Henson right like this is Kermit and Jim are he's trying to manage all the Muppets yes as the Muppet yeah yeah um this is when he really shines and so it the first season is Stellar, it's a huge success. It'll end up getting five seasons, 120 episodes, and it airs until 1981. So, becomes a wildly popular. It final they finally break, right? It still takes yeah. them a while to break America, but they finally like get their big break. Yeah. Uh in 1979, Jim makes the first Muppet feature film, The Muppet Movie. Oh, I love the Muppet I love movie. The Muppet movie. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Uh, it makes $65 million domestically and was the 61st highest grossing film at the time. So not bad. Not bad. Top 100, not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, it features the Rainbow Connection. Oh. It's the leading song of the whole thing. I highly encourage people to look into the writing process mm-hmm. for the Rainbow Connection because it'll make you cry. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> it's so they, beautiful. So they film that. Um. Kermit's sitting on a log in a swamp, right? Yeah. Playing the banjo. That swamp, they did not, like, green screen any of that. That's a swamp they built, right? On a soundstage. Jim was in a submarine diver's bell under the pond. Yeah. And he sat in there for hours while they filmed these different takes of this. Like, the man was underwater for (laughs) hours. He's insane. He also recorded it in the studio mm-hmm. with the puppet because mm-hmm. they they couldn't get it right right mm-hmm. because he wasn't really like connecting with it uh-huh. and then they brought the puppet in so he was playing Kermit when uh-huh. he recorded it. Ugh, it's beautiful. Uh, it hits number twenty five on the Billboard Hot one hundred and is nomica- nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. So one, yeah, whatever, huge hit. <laughs> also during this time. During the development of the Star Wars film, The Empire right. Strikes Back, Jim's good buddy, his friend George Lucas, um, asks for his help developing the puppet for Yoda. Yoda. Um, yeah. Cause, you know, Star Wars has stunning 
um, visual, like practical effect aliens and stuff like that. But Yoda yeah. was a little different than some of those other ones that they had done before. Right. So he helps to develop the puppet. And, and he, he wanted it to move Yes. In a certain way. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he actually asks Jim to puppet Yoda. But Jim says, why don't, why don't you have Frank Oz do it? Yeah. And here we are. Frank Oz did it for all of the... For all the movies. For all of the Star Wars movies, even when it was CG. Yeah. Our man right. was working. <laughs> um, he directs the second Muppet film. So they had a different director for the first film because they wanted to make sure that it would like become an actual movie. Um, right. <laughs> so he directs the second Muppet film, The Great Muppet Caper, in 1981. In 1982, they found the Jim Henson Foundation to promote and develop the art of puppetry in the United States. Also in 1982, he and Frank Oz co-direct the film The Dark Crystal. Hmm. Now, this had been Jim's pet project for several years. He had, like, a different artist help develop the art for the puppets in this movie. It was going to be this, like, darker fantasy kind of story. Yeah, a little and, more artsy. Yeah. No humans all puppets, but the char- like the characters looked more like fantasy, little artsy. Like some of the puppets are weird. I don't. They're yeah. they're a little uncanny <laughs> valley for me. But they're all, yeah. all they are really impressive. Probably why audiences weren't as yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. So it was a, it was critically very successful. It yeah. did. It was less successful in theaters. It wasn't a, a crash or anything. Like they make money off of it. Well, because he had sold the rights to somebody else, and. In the, like, early testing of the film, people were like, here's all the stuff that we think is wrong with it. And he was really attached to the story and didn't really want to give in to a lot of the creative changes. So he ends up spending, like, millions of dollars to buy the rights to it back. And it ended up working out for him because then he had the rights to the movie. They made money. Yeah. Yeah, But it was, like, a big... It was a risky move for him to buy the rights to that movie back. Definitely. Um, Around this time... Jim is, they decide to end the Muppet show, right, in 1981. And a lot of people were like, why would you do that? You're at the height of your success. But he wanted to do other projects. I respect him so much well, for this. Well, and he didn't other people... want it to become, like, and now it's old and stale. Yeah. Right? Yes. Because I always respect a TV writer, producer, creator who will say, this is the time to step away because I don't want to, like, destroy ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um. And he, and he was so, like, he was always looking forward to the next thing. He had such a creative yeah. mind that he's always developing other stuff. Like, yeah. That's how we got the Muppet Show in the first place. Exactly. You know? Um, so he wants to develop a new show that's going to kind of nod back to children's programming. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he said, what was it? Uh, he wanted to make a TV show that would stop all war. That was the yeah. um, goal <laughs> with this. Yeah. So he starts developing Fraggle Rock. Oh, classic. Um, it gets picked up by HBO. It begins airing in 1953. Now, nope. 1983. Oh my gosh, what's <laughs> happening to me? 1983. Wow. There's so many years in this one because he just, the man just worked nonstop. Yeah. We got a real Hamilton on our hands here. <laughs> um, so he produces the show. He directs a couple of episodes and he plays two like occasionally occurring characters but this project is mostly left to the uppet other muppet uppet uppet the uppet uppers yeah the other muppet performers (laughs) um they do a lot more of the writing a lot more of the day-to-day other people work on this project so he is a part of it it's a different vibe yeah but he he kind of leaves it to his other his the people that he trusts right sure yeah and it's more for like kind of it's still for kids but it's like older kids than sesame street yes yeah it's kind of this different demographic yeah and it's on hbo too so it's not open to everybody which meant that they could have a lot more creative freedom and i saw this really interesting thing from that documentary was talking about the live action segments with um what's his name in the dog uh-huh. The when they go into the human world or whatever. Right, that right, right, right. character, when they shopped the show out to other countries, they said, you can change this character to make it fit better with your culture. Right, yeah. So he can be somebody different, and you can refilm these scenes. Which they started then doing with, like, I don't know when it started exactly, but Sesame Street in other countries, uh-huh. they kind of started doing the same thing. Like, 
Big Bird is different in yeah. other countries. Yeah. Um, um, but I just thought that was so cool that they were like, make it whatever makes the most sense for your culture. Right, right. You know, like... Well, and HBO, like you said, had a lot more freedom to do something yeah. like that. They had more um, budget that they could dedicate uh-huh. to replacing a whole character. Right, right? yeah. And like, um, now the Muppet stuff, you can't refilm that. No. But the I mean, workshop but... and the dog, it's like they could chop right. that out a little bit more, you know? Right. Um, in 1984, Frank Oz solo directs the next Muppet movie, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. Another classic. Uh-huh. Uh, and the end of the movie features, for the first time, the Muppet Babies. The Muppet Babies. And, like, a dream sequence of, <laughs> yeah, like, what right. if all these characters were babies? And people <laughs> loved oh, the Muppet Babies. Yeah. Um, Muppet he, Babies were big in They mind. started merchandising those bad boys before the film even came out. Like, oh, people loved the Muppet Babies. And this yeah. was before I was born, and they were still big when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so this inspires directly a new animated series of the Muppet Babies. The Muppet Babies. Yeah. yeah. Um, big, big stinking deal, the Muppet Babies. It released yeah. the same year. It was their first, like, animated venture. So they partner with a studio that a lot of the Marvel animated shows had used at that same time. I can't, it's mm-hmm. Toei Animation, I think. Yeah. Um, big, big deal, the Muppet Babies. Yeah. Because they, the they Muppets, make, but they're not puppets. They make a lot of money on the Muppet Babies. Yeah, well, animation was... <laughs> animation for children, That's too. Because the merchandising, too. Uh-huh. Ooh, they make a lot of money on the Muppet uh-huh. Babies. Um, so now that he's got a little more free time, he fills it immediately with another risky project. Um, and he, Jim directs the movie Labyrinth in 1986, starring iconic. David Bowie. Now, yeah. iconic, yes. This movie was a commercial failure. Oh, yeah. It's very cult classic. It is such a cult classic. It yeah. did not do well. Um, it was critically successful. The critics loved it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was a commercial failure. He was very bummed that this did not succeed because he but really he thrilled to see how yeah. much people love it now. Yeah. He really was beloved. so interested in creating these kind of like fantasy darker more like real world kind of characters with the muppets yeah he wanted to use the puppets in these new and interesting ways um and yeah it just it just wasn't successful um also in 1986 jim and jane separate they never legally divorce but they legally separate you know um Jim was not able to spend a lot of time with his family, although he really tried. Like, his kids end up working in the Muppet Workshop a lot, and as they get older, they become performers. Like, his his sons performed with him. But he just couldn't spend very much time with his family. I, he also may, might have cheated on Jane. Like, there's some reports of that. Um, but despite their separation, they actually remain very close through the rest of Jim's life, he they work very closely together. He still, she's like the only person he trusts to tell him the truth. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> they they raise their kids still. Like he still is very involved in his kid's life in the way that he can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and she still is crucial to the Muppets. So despite right. their separation, they don't like actually like part. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, he makes a new series in 1987 called The Storyteller. Um, hosted by... Um, John Hurt, we love him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And these are, like, kind of folklore, mythological kind of stories made with the Muppets. So leaning a little more into that dark fantasy, but kind of more general programming than these, like, kind of high art film kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then in 1989, NBC begins airing the Jim Henson Hour. Mm -hmm. Now, this originally was inspired by... Walt Disney, I can't remember the name of the show, where he would walk around and show, like, all of the projects that the Imagineers were doing. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't think of what it was called. I can't either. And I've watched, like, several videos about it, but I can't remember what it was called. But, you know, where he would walk around and he would be like, and they're developing this, and, like, this is what the Imagineers are doing, and this is how our characters are created. Like, he wanted to do that for the Muppets. Right, yeah. That was the goal of this. And so he had this vision of it would be, like, one week they would play, um, they would do this, like, many variety sketch show and then another week they would do like um a rerun of some of these like smaller stories like the Emmett Ar- Otter's Christmas special that wasn't mm-hmm. that popular mm-hmm. and then another week it would be this like behind the, behind scenes, the scenes here's what we're doing at the Muppet Workshop here's all this new right. technology developing and then another week it would be um playing the storyteller 
like reruns of the storyteller because right. it yeah. it was just doing just okay on TV. So they were gonna like partner it in with this. But NBC was like, no, we want all of that all the time. So it becomes <laughs> this very weird mishmash where like the first half hour is like skits and stuff and behind yeah. the scenes stuff, and, and then, then the like back half hour back the is the storyteller. It's weird. Yeah. It just doesn't work very well. Um, yeah. The stuff they're doing is all perfectly fine. It just doesn't work very well. Um, it's critically actually pretty well received because people are interested in all that behind the scenes stuff. Like Jim could do no wrong at this point, right? People right. love oh, his yeah. work. Um, it won him another Emmy uh, for outstanding directing in a variety or music program, but it gets canceled after 12 episodes because the ratings are like the worst not, on TV. Not engaging for a TV. Audience. It didn't make any sense. NBA, no. NBC really chopped and screwed it in a way that like it was difficult to function, yeah. you know? Also in 1989, here we go. <laughs> Jim begins talks with Michael Eisner. Ugh. <laughs> the worst. We don't love Michael Eisner on this podcast. No, no, we do um, not. To sell his company and the Muppet characters, excluding the Sesame Street characters, right, to the Walt like, Disney yes. Company for what was going to be a $150 million deal. Yeah. Uh. The idea was that he wanted he him and Mike Eisner actually had like a pretty close working relationship, and so he wanted to sell the company to Disney to g- get some of that like lasting like oh they will take care of the legacy of these characters if I sell them to Disney right yeah. um and he wanted to free up more of his time to do some of those creative oh, ventures than to work on all of this right and mike eisner was like yeah i love it man i love it i'm here for it what about those sesame street characters though and he was like no i won't be giving those to you yeah um so negotiations are very difficult they are very tense they are very frustrating it takes up way more of his time than he was wanting and the deal ends up not going through for another 14 years like it wasn't until 2004 that they formally Joined. I don't know how Michael Eisner thought he was going to get the Sesame Street characters. It's like, dude, yeah, for they're real. on public television and they have and you're this Disney. incredible legacy. So like, and they are not Disney characters. Mm-hmm. They're not. Like the, like the other Muppets could kind of slot in. We have actually seen how they've slotted in quite well since then. Right. Yeah. But... No, it was just never going to happen, No, man. no. And also, like, you don't need them. That's what drives me yeah. crazy about these negotiations. He didn't need The them. Sesame Street characters. <laughs> right. No, no. Um, Classic Mike Eisner. Yeah, it wasn't until 2004 that that deal right. went through. So it was, like, it was rough stuff. Um, Jim does start developing some collaborations with Disney right away, though, because he gets very excited by this new venture and he wants to start like imagining like a muppet land like he sees this as a new like oh here's a new way that i can use this medium it's with a theme park right like he gets really excited about this so they make a um special uh the muppets at walt disney world (laughs) that they film and they all go on the roller coasters and stuff yeah it's great (laughs) and then he makes um for disney mgm studios Muppet Vision 3D, yeah, uh, which was a huge, like, they started filming it right away. Like, even yeah. before the contract was finalized, they had made these deals for these couple of things, right? Right. Um, he gets very excited about it. He starts working on it right away. But then it just, nothing, it, yeah. nothing comes of it for so long. Yeah. All right. So, now we're going to get into the sad part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to get emotional. Don't worry about it's it. It's the 90s now, so yeah. it's going to be sad. Yeah. yeah. So... Jim Henson appears with Kermit on the Arsenio Hall show on May 4th, 1990, and several days before, he had caught a little bit of a cold. In this episode, you can tell that he's sick. Like, his voice is cracking. He was kind of disappointed in his performance as Kermit because he just didn't feel well. very low energy. Yeah. Yeah. He He has a cold. He's got a cough. Like, he just doesn't feel very well. This ends up being his final television appearance. So, he tells his publicist he's very tired he has a throat a sore throat but he thinks it's on the up and up it just feels like a cold right on may 12th he goes to uh how do you say that <laughs> i don't know uh, a hosky give it a try a hosky north sure. carolina i don't know he goes to um, north carolina yeah to see his daughter and visit his father and his stepmother and then he goes back to new york city the next day all the while not feeling very well cancels a Muppet recording session that had been scheduled for May 14th 
because he just wasn't feeling well. He just yeah. decides he needs to rest. His wife comes to visit him with some soup that night because she hears that he's sick, and he asks her to stay, and she does. Um, at about 2 a.m. on May 15th, he wakes up with a lot of trouble breathing, and he starts coughing up blood. Um, and his wife is like, you should go to the hospital. And he's like, I don't really want to spend the time going to the hospital. And she's like, me, you might be dying. So you should go to the hospital. Yeah. And so finally the pain becomes too much and he needs to go. So he gets taken to the emergency room, uh, at New York Presbyterian hospital in Manhattan, tells his wife, I'll see you later. And they take him in very shortly after he gets there, he stops breathing. He's rushed to intensive care. They x-ray his chest, and he has abscesses in both of his lungs from a bacterial infection, which they eventually figure out was, like, pneumonia, right? Yeah. He was placed on a ventilator, but he deteriorates very quickly. Uh, they ha they do a lot of very aggressive treatment with the antibiotics, but his organs start failing at this point. Ugh. And he dies at 1.21 a.m. on May 16th Ugh, at the so age sad. of 53. Yeah. And the doctors mostly agree that if he had come in even a couple hours earlier— they might have been able to save him, but he just, this, this really shocked people. This well, was not uncommon. Like if you get a cold and it develops into pneumonia, it's scary, but it's treatable. But people like stopped thinking of pneumonia as a thing that could kill you even yeah. by the 50 it, or by the, the, what is this now? The nineties? Like they forgot, uh, they just didn't think about it anymore. And pneumonia symptoms for him came on very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. He was fine. And then he wasn't like right. he was sick. He had a cold and then he was very ill. So, yeah, it was really shocking. Like, people were not yeah. expecting it. They d they weren't. It's not like he had been sick for a long time. Yeah, or yeah. that sick either. He just had right. a cold. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, a lot of people think that he he got so quick, so sick, so sick so quickly because he was so worn down um, from, like, well, the sure. Disney dealings I mean, and stuff. But, like. His body was probably really tired yeah. and not in a great place to He was traveling all the time. And... Like, that's not good for yeah. you. Like, yeah. Um, on May 21st, 1990, there is a two-hour-long memorial service oh. for Jim at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in Manhattan. And it's. Uh, you should watch it's it. A it's a tough watch. It's really beautiful. <laughs> it's a tough watch. But... Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's I'm thinking about it. Yeah, anyway. same. It's really beautiful. Um, he, you know, a couple of years before had in a letter to his son said, like, here's what I want when I'm gone. You know what I mean? So no one wears black. Uh, the Dirty Dozen brass band finishes the service by playing the, when the Saints go marching in. Harry Belafonte sings Turn the World Around which he had done for the first time on the Muppet show. And they give all the people in the audience, <laughs> I'm going to get all so worked up. Um, they give all the people who are there butterflies on oh. puppet rods and they like wave them. <laughs> this is just one of those ones We're that's going to so get us. Weepy. Okay. Um, Carol Spinney is big bird. Oh, sings being green. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Um, Dave, Golas, Frank Oz, Kevin Clash, and Steve Whitmire, uh, J Jerry Nelson, and Richard Hunt sing a melody of, um, or a medley, sorry, of Henson's favorite songs, like, in the characters' voices. They, like, picked out a bunch, because he, they were telling a story about how, like, Jim's favorite time was recording the songs in the recording oh, booth. Yeah. So they all come together, and they sing these songs, um, and the whole service is also interspersed with clips of the Muppets. I, it's awful. <laughs> and they get, they are told that they are performing something special for a man named Jim Henson. And they get like a postcard from Kermit. That's like, this is a, Kermit is not in the special until the very it, end. No. And, and they, it's, it's tough. Yeah. He, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. So they send him this, they, he sends this postcard and they find like these letters from fans about him. And it's all these clips about like his life and all of the wonderful things that he did. And they finish the show with all of them singing just one person. It's so sad. And they bring their Muppets out. Oh, it's God. It's so sad. It's so it's brutal. It's so sad. They, like, sing all the other songs before, like, in the voices. But at the end, they bring all the Muppets out. Oh, oh my God. And, uh, and it just shows you, I think, like, how, how much they had um, accomplished making these Muppet characters, like, kind of real people. Yeah. And how they were so good at not um, breaking that wall. Like, even to this day, when you see people interacting with, like, Sesame Street characters, 
they are not talking to the person playing Elmo. Yeah. They're talking to Elmo. Yeah. And Elmo has a personal relationship with the person yeah. he's talking to. Yeah. In the same way that, like, Kermit has a personal relationship with Jim Henson. Yeah. But he, they were so good at that. They never, ever break that wall. They still don't. And I, uh, people who have worked with the Muppets will tell you, like, they say in interviews, when you're doing the scene work with them, you're talking to the puppet. Yeah. And that never feels weird because yeah. they do such a good job of making the puppet come to life. Yeah. And it just so shows his legacy of like nobody had really done that before. before. And it becomes part of how we think of puppeteering now. Yeah. That the puppet is the person. Yeah. Right? It's so interesting. And it's really sad. To yeah. Watch. Um, but they're singing this song, and then the Muppets in the video yeah. are also singing it. And at the end, Kermit comes out. Yeah, um, they had decided, harsh. they had decided that Steve Whitmire was going to take over, and he had been really hesitant to do it, um, like just do to do voice. it for the first time. Like yeah. it's hard. Um, so they had him come out at the end of the memorial with Kermit for the first time, being somebody else. Oh, it's so oh, much. It's so sad. <laughs> oh. I this quote I feel is accurate the funeral was described by life as an epic and almost unbearably moving event yeah that's it (laughs) and it truly is is like it's recorded you can see it um again in that defunct land documentary he does a whole final episode on like the last few years of Jim's life and he intersperses all of it with the memorial service Uh, and it's really beautifully done um Oh, it's so br- brutal. It's so brutal. Like, all of the performers, but like, were struggling so through it. And like-, like, Frank Oz at one point is really struggling to get through a song, and all the other performers go and they, like, lift up his chair to make him laugh. Yeah. And he can, like, carry on with the performance. It's you so know what I mean? It's sweet, though. It's just, like, it's all so loving. And- yeah. And I think it also just speaks to the kind, like, to the kind of person that Jim was and the kind of environment that he created. Like, he built an empire really with. In, like, one of the healthiest ways that a person, like, a media empire. Like, his company, everybody that worked there loved working there. You never hear horror stories from people working with the Muppets. Um, Like, a big part of the success of the Muppet show originally was that they made sure that all of the guests had a really good time on it. Like, they would ask them, what do you want to do for the performance? They would not say, like, you're a singer, so you're going to sing. They would ask them, what do you want to do on the Muppet show? And they, like, always were treated really well and everybody who's ever worked with the Muppets on a Muppets movie has said that and this continues today right like oh yeah still that, that's that the real testament right is that, that the culture, culture the still exists yeah like people today still who work on Muppet movies always report having a fantastic time and like yeah. all of the you just saw how loved he was you know yeah. like yes. and how, what a wonderful dude he was you know um Another memorial is held on July 2nd, 1990 in St. Paul's Cathedral in London to honor his life there with the people who worked with him there. Uh, He was cremated in 1992 and his ashes are scattered near Taos in New Mexico. And that's, that's (sighs) Jim. I knew it was going to get me at the end because it's just so like. Every time I see clips from that service. Memorial service. Oh my God. It's brutal. (laughs) But that's. Well loved man yeah and well-loved characters like yeah well this is what i'm saying like the the characters were also people who loved jim yeah right yes so when they come out on stage it's very like well the big bird voice actor is you know performing and sad and and then you see big bird and you're like oh no big bird is sad yeah yeah because he's like he's wearing a little green ribbon and he's in the costume and he's getting teared up and you're like oh my god you all over again yeah that just shows like how good the character development was that they the characters were a big part of our lives yeah in like a totally different way than any other character like when i think back to the characters i loved in my childhood None of them have that same effect than the Muppets as do. The Muppets, yeah, not even a little bit, yeah, because there's that separation of like, oh, they're a cartoon, or you know, they're voiced by this person, and mm-hmm. while they're performing, you know, they are not performing. Yeah, the characters, they are just they exist in this little world, and mm-hmm. that's it. And it's even different and than watching them, somebody but... perform on stage. It's this whole other level of like the performer and the character, but they are so connected for the performance 
Yeah. You know? Like, it would not have the same effect on me if you, like, showed Simba on a screen crying about yeah. something. You know what I mean? It wouldn't yes. have the same effect because it's not as real. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's... I think he, I think that he was such a spectacular person. I think nobody did what he did. Like. Yeah. And, and now people want to do that job. Yeah. Because of how much he the biggest university the in our state developed a yeah. puppetry master, which is getting cut, which is a bummer. Well. But d- d- created this master's program that fed people into the Jim Henson Company from right. from West Virginia. West that Virginia, does not happen, right? right? Yeah. That did not happen before this. But he created this like love for the art form. Yeah, and he changed the art form yeah. to be something. Excuse me, something totally different. I and, think that puppetry is an art form that could have easily died after a yep. certain time, right? I like, agree. and now he, the way he did it is like the standard. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Know? It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. Ugh, Jim Henson. Jim great, Henson and the Muppets. Great choice, Amanda. Thank you. I had so much fun researching this one. Yeah. Um, and learning about him and his life. It was just, it was a good, it was a really good time all around. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love that. Um, that's great. I, th- I'm now thinking, I think I have an idea for the next episode. Yay. After, after being inspired by that, maybe another public television, uh, icon. Oh, that would be lovely. Perhaps. But no promises, because I might change my mind, so I'm not going <laughs> to say it on the recording. Uh-huh. Um, thank you all for listening. It's a little bit of a longer one, but mm-hmm. I, I hope enjoy. Worth it for I, Jim. I love it. Worth it yeah. for Jim. Um, and, um, yeah. So... I have an idea for next time. No promises. Okay. But if you are interested in sending us um, any other topic suggestions or if you have questions, comments, etc., you can email us at rememberthatpod. You can also find us on threads, uh, which I only update to post the episodes. But <laughs> we are there. Um, and also on Instagram at rttpod. We would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you would like to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woo! It was an emotional. Woo! Got through it. I knew it was going to get me at the end. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> we did it. We made it through. And um, until next time, remember that time.